66 to 69 and can be found in the Bibles in your pews on page 1071. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does that offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. And yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to live, do do you? Jesus asked this twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You know the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Well, it's really great to be with you here today on this uh, Mission Sunday. Um, Our reading just then, thank you for that, was from John chapter 6, a remarkable chapter. Actually, I would have loved to have had the whole chapter read because it's so wonderful. It starts with uh, the feeding of the 5,000 at the very beginning. Then in the middle, uh, Jesus declares in verse 35, I am the bread of life. And then the chapter ends uh, with Simon Peter saying, Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. So this morning, what I want to do is unpack those words of Simon Peter. Lord, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. But to put them in the context of that whole chapter. When Jesus fed the 5,000, that was a really good solution to the people's problem. The people were hungry, so he gave them food. It's a good thing to do, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to provide hospitality to the homeless. Those are good solutions to the problems of our world. And our world has so many problems, doesn't it? And so today, when we think of a church's involvement in world mission, perhaps we think of those good deeds. But having fed the people, Jesus went on to say in the middle of the chapter, verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When he said that, he's pointing out that food alone is not enough. He's just done one of the most amazing miracles in all history, feeding 5,000 people, and yet he says it wasn't good enough. Obviously, food and water matter, but they're not sufficient. Now, the crowd didn't agree with him. They said to Jesus in verse 31, our ancestors ate uh, manna in the wilderness. 
They're remembering that time in Exodus when God provided food for them day after day. And what they're saying is, food is enough. But Jesus replies, no, you've missed the point. He says, verse 49, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and yet they died. Even daily bread from God is not sufficient. Jesus is saying that we human beings have a bigger problem than bread can satisfy. He's saying that we need more than that, that people need the bread of life. He said, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. People need more than relief work. In this world, sadly, relief work is very often necessary, but it's never sufficient. People need something more. Now, remember, when the people were hungry, Jesus provided food. We must never say that because some needs are not spiritual, that therefore they don't matter. No, they do matter. But Jesus' ministry was far more than that. He was concerned about our deepest hunger, our deepest thirst, about our need for life. Life in all its richness now, life in all its fullness forever, eternal life. And that's what Simon Peter realized He said he wouldn't leave Jesus because, those words we're focusing on today, you have the words of eternal life. See, Simon Peter knew that he needed a long-term solution, a permanent answer, the words of eternal life, words that sustain us, not just for one day, but every day, not just now, but for the whole of our lives, not just in this world, but forever. We have problems that supermarkets can't help with, that hospitals can't fix. It's not that supermarkets and hospitals are bad. No, they're good things to have. But we still need something more. We need the words of eternal life. We need this long-term solution to our deepest needs. And not just us, but our world too. And those words are found in Jesus So when we think about mission on a day like today... As a church involved in mission, how do we make this available? It's important to realize that the hope the Bible offers is found in a person, in Jesus, not in an ideology. There isn't a program for us to roll out. Jesus himself is the solution. He said, I am the bread of life. The disciples don't ask well, to which other philosophy could we turn, but to whom can we go? Where else can we go to? The answer to our deepest needs is found in Jesus himself, in knowing Jesus, not in some clever plan of action. We, we, we tend to think that if we follow the right steps, if we have the right strategy, we can somehow figure out how to make the world a better place. But the Bible insists that's not the case. Yet this world gives us many good and helpful ideas and practical steps we can take to help those in need. And and maybe we should be doing some of those things more than we do. But they're not enough. They're not sufficient. The solution our our world needs is in a person, not in our good works. Jesus himself is the answer to our deepest needs. He himself is the solution to our greatest problems. And because people need Jesus, therefore this creates a, a degree of urgency i mean i mean think about it but because the solution we need is a person it is therefore a unique solution 
I mean, if the solution's Jesus, it can't be anyone else. And Jesus is saying, unless you feed on me the bread of life, then you can't have life. In fact, he says it explicitly in that chapter. He said somewhere, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, you have no life in you. He's not talking, we're not talking about eating with our teeth, you know. He's talking about feeding with our hearts, feeding on him. And that's why in the passage that was read, when the crowd started, who started following Jesus, when they heard him say this, they said, verse 60, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? They don't mean difficult to understand. They're not saying, Jesus, Jesus, can you just run that past me a second time? No, they mean, this is challenging. This is offensive. That's what they're saying. This is an offensive teaching, Jesus. Jesus knew it. He, He replied, verse 61, does this offend you? Well, yes, it offends them. Yes, it's offensive to say that we can't solve all our problems ourselves. Yes, it's offensive to say that only Jesus can meet our deepest needs. We live in a society where many people are saying they need to figure out their own identity, to solve their own problems, that we must all affirm them in their solutions. So when we assist, insist that the, the, the real solution is found in Jesus and that he is a unique solution, and that he alone can unlock our lives, well, people find it offensive. And, well, and so it was back in their day too. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples, as this large crowd of followers, turned back and no longer followed him. His popularity levels just fell right down that day. Offended that true life is found only in Jesus, in feeding on him, many turned their backs on him and walked away. And yet Simon Peter and the twelve, they do not leave. Jesus gave them that choice, verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? But Simon Peter, speaking for the twelve, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? That is, who else would we go to? Who else is there? Reading on, he said, you have the words of eternal life. We have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. (laughs) That's an incredible statement, isn't it? Seeing that Jesus is not just a prophet, not even simply identifying him as the Messiah, awesome as that would be, but even more than that, to say, Jesus, we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And if that is who he is, then, then plainly no one else can compare to him. If God himself has come down to earth, if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then of course he alone has the words of eternal life. Rather than take offence at his teaching, this should cause us to leap for joy. Finally, the solution to our deepest needs and our greatest problems has arrived. And, And hey, look at this, folks. It is not some complicated solution that needs a degree to understand or or a committee to organise, but a person who has come to us who we can know, and who offers freely to just give us life. This, then, is the critical understanding which shapes our engagement in mission, whether we're talking about Cambridgeshire or around the world. So often when we think about world needs, we start by thinking what we saw on the TV news last night, as if that's going to tell us what the needs are, And then we think about the important things we could and should be doing, feeding the hungry, caring for the homeless, and so on. But as valuable as that is, it's not enough. We must not forget what the news is not telling us, that people need more than that. 
that people need to never go hungry. People need to never be thirsty. People need to find the bread of life. And that means when as a church we think about mission, there is a priority in mission today. That that given very real world needs, there is a priority to make Jesus known. Introducing people to him so they can find life in his name. Helping people to know Jesus better so they can enjoy the life he brings. How do we do that? How, How practically do we help people today get to know Jesus for the first time or to get to know him better day by day? If life's found in knowing him, in feeding on him, in walking with him, in dwelling in him, how practically does that actually happen? Well, the answer here, consistent with the New Testament, is that the Holy Spirit enables people to know Jesus through his words. We know Jesus by the Spirit through his words. Jesus has already said in our reading, verse 63, the words I have spoken to you are full of the Spirit and life. Simon Peter gets that. He replies to Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Not just words about eternal life, not words that describe a philosophy of life, but actual life-giving, spirit-filled words. So that when we read the Bible, the word of God, we meet a person, Jesus, and can find life in him. These words are powerful. God is speaking through them. These words bring life to us as we listen to them, as we ponder them, as we discuss them, as we accept them, as we believe them, as we trust them and build our lives upon them, as we live according to them and put them into practice. These are life-changing, life-giving words. I mean, think of your favourite Bible verse. In fact, shall we be brave? Does anyone want to shout out their favourite Bible verse? Anyone brave enough to do that? Who's got a favourite Bible verse? Surely someone. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Sorry, another one to shout at the back? Someone. Someone 19. Well, that's, I'm not going to quote that one, am I? That's, that's, that's a very long one. <laughs> we have favourite verses, don't we, very often. The Lord is my shepherd. Come to me all who are weary and laden. I will give you rest. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Why are these verses so precious to us? Well, because we know these favorite parts of scripture are not simply information or head knowledge. They warm our hearts because they're relational. Because we hear God speaking to us through his word. He's assuring us by his spirit. We hear his voice. In God's word, in the Bible, we meet God himself. We hear him. And if we understand this, if we realize that the word of God is life-giving, then we will see that there is an inherent priority, a necessity, and even an urgency about taking the words of Jesus to other people. I mean, if we've come to know and believe that Jesus is the Holy One of God, whose words are the words of eternal life... Well, surely the next step is to tell people those words, isn't it? I mean, we can hardly keep it to ourselves, can we? That would be heartless. I mean, if you care about anyone, surely the next thing to do 
is to share this with them. Our lives and the missions of our churches, locally, nationally, globally, should be orientated around making Jesus known by making his word known. We should be making the word of God more available to people, more accessible, so that everyone can know Jesus, so that everyone can feed on Jesus, the bread of life. Jesus is alive today, drawing people to himself from every tribe and language and people and nation. So we make his word available to people from every tribe and language and people and nation so that anyone, anywhere can come to know him and grow in relationship to him. I don't know know if you ever thought about this. Have you ever wondered, why is it? that we have our Bibles today available to us in English. Have you ever thought about that? Because because for a long time, the Bible was only available in Latin. How do we get it in English? Well, around 650 years ago, a man called John Wycliffe set about translating it for us. Absolutely revolutionary at the time. Why did he translate the Bible? It wasn't an academic exercise. It was because he, he said this. Let me quote him. This is slightly old English. And you have to concentrate slightly. He said, Seeing as the Bible contains Christ that is necessary for salvation, it is necessary for all men. That is, he said, Seeing that in the Bible we meet Jesus, so the Bible is necessary for, vital for people to be saved, so therefore the Bible is necessary for everyone. Everyone must have it, he said. We have to make it available. But the problem in his day was having only Latin was a problem. So he said, and again, slightly old English, concentrate slightly. He said this, quote, Christ and his apostles taught the people in the language best known to them. Therefore, the message should not only be in Latin, but in the common tongue, that is English, And as the faith of the church is contained in the scriptures, the more these scriptures are known in a true sense, the better. He's saying Jesus and the apostles didn't go around talking a language no one understood. They used people's own language, and therefore so should we. He said the scriptures should be translated into people's languages so they can understand the message. So with a team of helpers, John Wycliffe set about translating the Bible into English. He said, the laity, every Christian, not just the educated priests, he said, the laity ought to understand the faith, and as the doctrines of our faith are in the scriptures, believers should have the scriptures in a language which they fully understand. That's why today we have the Bibles available in English. It was actually so controversial at the time that, 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 that translating the Bible into English was, was outlawed. They made it illegal to have these English Bibles. Um, but yet copies of the Bible spread and groups sprung up around the country discovering God's word. This is before uh, printing had been invented. So those Bibles had to be copied by hand. Just imagine the effort to do this. When, when you see God's word as so precious as the words of life that you're willing to handwrite out a copy of the entire thing in order to be able to share it with others. When printing was invented, uh, William Tyndale started a new translation, which was later the basis for the King James uh, uh, Version, uh, 500 years ago. Uh, because it was still illegal to do this, he, he, had to, 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 he was persecuted. And he had to flee to the continent in order to do his translation from there. And that is what it took. It took 
people suffered very significantly to get us the Bible into English. Tyndale was killed for what he was doing. Wycliffe was thought of so badly that they dug up his body after he died and burnt it to add further punishments to him. Why did these people give their lives for us? They did it because the words of Jesus are the words of eternal life. They did it because in the Bible, God himself is speaking to us. Because in the Bible, we meet Jesus, the bread of life. Because as we feed on these words in our Bibles, we, so we come to feed on him. And that was the confidence they had in the Bible. And that's why we have our Bibles in English today. And it's the confidence that we should have as we go out. Yeah, so when tomorrow morning someone asks you what you did at the weekend, and you might say, well, I went to Tesco Express, or you might feel a bit brave and say, well, I actually went to church. But let's have more confidence in God's word. It is such a powerful thing that people suffered greatly to give to us. Well, why not say to your friend, oh, I was at church and I heard this guy, I can't remember his name, but he was explaining that Jesus is the bread of life. A quote from scripture shared in conversation gives people access to God's word, maybe for the first time. I mentioned when I was speaking earlier that uh, one in five people globally do not have the Bible yet in their language. It's, it's a tremendous injustice. Whichever way you look at it, it can't be right. If these are the words of eternal life through which we meet Jesus, then, then surely then we must feel some obligation on us who have a Bible in our language to make it available to all so that they too can hear God speak to them and know Jesus in their language, just as uh, Wycliffe and Tyndale did that for us. I mean, like, why should we have it and not them? That's not fair, is it? But by the way, um, uh, uh, Wycliffe and Tyndale became famous in church history. Uh, but there was another guy who, 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 who is not often mentioned. It was only possible what, they, what Tyndale did because of a man called Humphrey Monmouth. Monmouth was not a Bible translator, but he sponsored Tyndale to do the translation. That is, Monmouth paid for it. Tyndale's over in the continent doing the work. Monmouth sent money to keep him going. It's the same today. That wealth we have here can be used to sponsor mission work around the world, can sponsor Bible translators and, and evangelists and discipleship workers who need financial support to get the Bibles to their people. And when Christians like us, and when, when churches like this partner with translation teams overseas, together with our support, they can make much more rapid progress with translating God's word for their people, not just translating it, but teaching it to people and getting it out and getting it known. As that happens, as God's word becomes available, you see the Christians becoming stronger in their faith, knowing Jesus better. And people in wider society all over the world are being introduced to Jesus for the first time, as I'm sure you're seeing happen here in Little Shelford. They too can discover for themselves the words that bring eternal life as they take them to heart. They too can come to know and believe that in Jesus, God is for them, not against them, that Jesus is the answer to their hunger and thirst. Now, I know that as a church, you support a number of activities around the world, and I'm sure uh, individually, you, you, if, we, if we made a list, you support many more to meet a variety of needs. And, and I want this morning to encourage you in those things. I also want to ask you to prioritize this crucial need of giving people the words of Jesus and to make this possible around the world by making it one of the primary causes that you support. 
God's word is the foundation for Bible-based evangelism and discipleship that points to Jesus, for building Bible-believing churches that bring glory to Jesus, so that we and all God's people can daily feed on Jesus through his word in the Bible. There are many different things that we'll all be involved in, but whatever we're doing, let's prioritize Bible-based ministries, evangelism, discipleship, training, and Bible availability ministries which make those things possible, Bible translation, Bible distribution, because these are the things that have the largest impact. Because as Simon Peter said, well, to who else are people going to go? Jesus has the words of eternal life. So let's let people discover those words. All over the world, people are crying out for solutions to their problems. And what they all have in common is that Jesus loves them and wants to meet their deepest needs. And as believers, our challenge, our responsibility, did our great privilege is to spread this good news, to make God's word accessible and available so that more and more people can enter and enjoy the eternal life that Jesus brings. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for this clear statement from Jesus, I am the bread of life, and this clear recognition from Simon Peter that you alone have the words of eternal life. We ask that you'd grow our confidence in Jesus and in his word, and that you'd increase our opportunity to make his word known, that more and more people might find life in him. Amen.